It's Radiothon time again at 3CR. This year marks 40 years of Radical Radio at 3CR and we're asking you to keep us on air for another 40 years by donating your money to 3CR's Radical Radiothon. June the 6th to the 19th, call us on 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy your podcast. Animales humanos, animales humanos, animales, animales. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. Recent podcasts, audio on demand and live streaming is available from the 3CR website. All podcasts are available from the Freedom of Species website and you can subscribe to the program via iTunes. Every year, enshrined in the controversial wildlife game regulations, a duck shooting season will be called in Victoria. However, under the Wildlife Act, the Minister can vary the shooting arrangements as to the length of the season and the number of ducks a shooter can bag each day. The government can also decide to cancel the duck shooting season. This occurred during the severe drought years of 2007 and 8, when the Labor government called for a moratorium on duck shooting. This year, despite environmental conditions and bird numbers being worse than in the moratorium years, Labor's Minister for Agriculture, Jala Pulford, called for a full 12-week season. The only concession? A reduced bag limit. I'm Kate Elliott. Welcome to the program. Victoria is the last bastion for recreational duck shooters. It has been banned in Western Australia, New South Wales and Queensland. Of the remaining states that still permit duck shooting, Victoria by far has the largest number of registered duck shooters. On paper, that's 26,000. It's an indication of how times have changed. Three decades ago, there were nearly 100,000 duck shooters on Victorian wetlands. Still... Last year, in 2015, the death toll of native water birds was over 200,000 for the three-month season, well below the long-term average of 380,000. In addition to birds killed, the conservative wounding rate is one in every four birds. Every season, threatened and protected species are killed, but this killing and wounding does not continue unnoticed. For the past 30 years, the shooters in their camo gear have been joined on the wetlands by duck rescuers in fluoro vests, most noticeably on the opening morning of the season. So familiar has this event become in the media's calendar that an Associated Press journo quipped that it was the annual coming together of these two adversaries that had become the tradition, not duck shooting per se. However, traditions can be broken and this year was like no other. As we will hear, a formidable campaigner stepped up its involvement, changing the rules of engagement and taking the fight to save native water birds away from the wetlands and into the Supreme Court of Victoria. But before we head to the courts and the political backrooms that underpin this story, we will join the duck rescue teams on the misty and muddy Lake Burrumbeet outside of Ballarat. It's just one of the 20,000 wetlands in Victoria. Victoria's wetlands, being one of the wetter parts of Australia, 
the wetlands in Victoria are particularly important in the overall scheme of things in that they often provide drought refuge for our water birds uh, when there's drought throughout inland Australia or the rest of eastern Australia, particularly near the coast. Uh, unfortunately, um, something like half of Victoria's wetlands have been uh, drained or developed since European settlement, and those that are remaining are often impacted uh, by pollution, high salinity levels. So the wetlands in Victoria are extremely important in a national scale because Australia's water birds, they don't know state boundaries and they have evolved in a very much a boom and bust climate and so they will move to where the water is and in dry years, often the only water in the eastern part of the country is in Victoria's wetlands. My name is Sean Dooley, I'm from BirdLife Australia where I'm the editor of Australian BirdLife magazine. BirdLife Australia is the national bird conservation organisation. It has about 12,000 members across the country and roughly about 80,000 supporters. Most of our waterfowl, our ducks, are fairly uh, opportunistic when it comes to breed, but generally they breed in the, in the spring, summer months. Uh, so at the moment, uh, what we find in 2016 is we've had a couple of very dry years inland and particularly dry springs when, when the late winter and spring rains would replenish a lot of, a lot of wetlands. So this, uh, if you go out, in, especially into northern Victoria currently, this autumn it's been most wetlands are dry, so the few remaining wetlands that do have any significant amount of water in them have attracted large numbers of, of water birds uh, because simply they're the only bit of water in the landscape. All of Australia's native water birds are protected under the Wildlife Act. However, during a duck shooting season, around seven species are placed on a game list. This year the game list included the Pacific Black Duck, the Mountain Duck, Chestnut Teal, Grey Teal, Pink-Eared Duck, Wood Duck and the Hardhead. It's the Black Duck and the, the two teal species that, that are the main targets. And the two teal species are interesting. They're the smaller ducks, and they um, uh, there's two types. They're very similar. The grey teal is, is quite, as its name suggests, quite a plain bird, but it's it's one of those great wanderers. Uh, so they'll breed in big numbers up in the Lake Eyre Basin and uh, or the Murray Darling, and then they'll they'll wander right across the country looking for suitable wetlands. Whereas the chestnut teal is very much like the grey teal. The female is very similar, but it's darker, and the male has got this really lovely uh, chestnut colour on the, on the front and this glossy green head. So they're quite handsome birds, the males, and they're much more a, a Victorian species. They don't move nearly as far as the grey teal. They're one that, you you know, you would like to watch out for. Um, they, they don't have as big a range, so if shooting impacts on them within their range, within Victoria, like it's a bigger percentage of their range that's getting impacted. Also keeping a close eye on the game list native water birds are the Coalition Against Duck Shooting rescue teams who monitor the wetlands throughout the duck shooting season. Yeah, I'm Tony Murphy. I've been involved with duck rescue for bit over 20 years now. I have to put it from a long service leave, Sam. You know, one of the good things about being out on the wetland is that in the quiet times when the shooting subsides, it's... Uh, wonderful place to be and we learn a lot more about the birds that we see and 
It's important to sort of remember that the birds are individuals for their own life to live. And I suppose the, one of the most striking examples of that is we've often observed that mountain ducks move around in pairs and they form pair bonds for life. And quite often we've seen that a pair of mountain ducks will fly over and one of them will get shot. The other one will turn back looking for its mate and then often get shot as well, which is very sad. In a sense, the worst thing about that is that 90% of mountain ducks that are shot are left lying on the wetlands because they're commonly thought by shooters to be inedible. They're a big, strong bird, the largest duck that we have, and they're really strong flyers, and therefore they're very tough and considered not particularly suitable for eating. And yet here they are on the game list. For what reason? At the other end of the size scale from mountain ducks, you've got the pink-eared ducks, which are the smallest duck, and they move around in large flocks where they're constantly talking to each other. And they're such a small bird, there's not very much flesh on them. So consequently, we often find large numbers that have been shot and then discarded in shooters' camps. And also, one of the things we often observe with pink-eared ducks is there's no requirement for shooters to be able to shoot accurately. And what they... So often we'll see shooters who can't hit an individual duck that flies past, but when a flock of pink-eards fly past, they shoot into the flock because that's the only way they're going to bring down a bird because they can't shoot accurately. And that leads to many birds around the edge of where they're shooting that are just get some pellets in them, but they're wounded but not brought down. So, you know, the, the wounding rate is very high. There was one lucky duck this season, the blue-winged shoveler. Ordinarily on the game list, this year it was given a reprieve. But many, including some shooters, wonder why they remain on the list in the first place. Sean Dooley. Blue-winged shoveler or Australasian shoveler is listed as vulnerable. It's quite surprising that a species that makes the threatened species list as vulnerable, which the, under the Act, vulnerable is defined as facing a high risk of extinction in the wild. It is quite puzzling that a bird that's facing a high risk of extinction in the wild could actually be allowed to be shot in a normal season. To kill game species, a shooter must hold a game licence and pass a one-off waterfowl identification test, or WIT test as it's known. For those who have dabbled in bird watching, trying to discern the species amongst the mist and the sun through binoculars or peering into the distance, it may come as a surprise that the WIT test is a series of multiple choice questions. There is no requirement to complete an in-the-field ID practical assessment or even pass a shotgun competency test. Junior shooters as young as 12 who hold a firearm licence do not need to complete the WIT test, so long as they're under the direct supervision of an adult with a game licence. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. The game licensing process, as well as what native birds are included or excluded on the game list, 
is the purview of the Game Management Authority. It's a statutory body that advises the government on matters concerning hunting, including duck shooting. In order to advise the relevant ministers on the 2016 duck shooting season, seven peak representative bodies were invited to submit recommendations, in particular whether environmental conditions or bird population surveys indicated that restrictions should be put in place. BirdLife Australia was one of the peak bodies invited to make a submission. Sean Dooley. BirdLife Australia does get a seat at the table, but the process is still fairly opaque and we certainly don't think it, it's, it's transparent enough um, to see why the decisions are made. A good case in point is the 2016 season. All the scientific evidence that, that we saw presented in those preliminary discussions shows that this is one of the worst seasons for water bird numbers in Victoria in 30 years. Uh, the indexes of water bird abundance and the amount of water in wetlands are either the lowest or the second lowest and the evidence of wildfowl breeding, of the breeding of the ducks is actually the lowest as well in 30 years of, of counting. So uh, with all those those inputs going into the decision, we, we find ourselves scratching our head that uh, there was even a, a, an open season contemplated. BirdLife Australia was not alone in calling for a 2016 season to be cancelled. Animals Australia and RSPCA Victoria supported their call. Despite this, and the Game Management Authority's own briefing report indicating that waterbird populations are experiencing a long-term decline, a 2016 duck shooting season was announced. Animal activists are outraged that duck hunting season will go ahead despite near record low numbers of birds. The state government will issue some restrictions, but campaigners say to have it go ahead is environmental vandalism. The only restriction would be a reduced bag limit, from 10 down to 8 ducks at opening and 4 per day for the rest of the season. The minister responsible for calling the duck shooting season, Jala Pulford, declined to be interviewed by the ABC as to how bag limits were calculated. This program also contacted the Minister's office and was wished the best of luck in trying to secure an interview. Obviously luck was not on my side this time and we are left to speculate on what looks like a captain's pick approach to the regulation of Victorian duck shooting. To truly appreciate the issues associated with enforcing bag limits, we need to head to the wetlands, and we will do that shortly as promised. But first, what occurred on the wetlands last year set the scene for a very different 2016 season. It was the year that authorities finally caught up with veteran waterbird rescuer and campaign director of the Coalition Against Duck Shooting, Laurie Levy. At the opening of the 2015 duck shooting season, a compliance officer was chasing down five rescuers and the compliance officer was in a, a canoe and I uh, grabbed the canoe to help protect the other five rescuers and I dragged his canoe into shore. Uh, it was right in front of the television news cameras and I was arrested and uh, had to face the magistrate's court where I was banned from going out to the wetlands in 2016. It would be the first time in 30 years that Laurie would not be on the wetlands defending Australia's native birds during a duck shooting season. 15 rescuers in 1986 went out to the wetlands to challenge 
95,000 duck shooters in Victoria. Now, you might say, how can 15 rescuers ever be effective? And the only way is all the media came out, so for the first time, the public could see a rescue team in action. And there were two images that the public saw. One of the duck shooter dressed up in camouflage gear with a powerful semi-automatic shotgun in those days or a pump-action shotgun shooting down a small defenceless bird. The, the other image was of a rescuer coming out of the water with a wounded bird in their arms. And that second image, one of compassion and kindness, will always be an act of violence. But what the government didn't know was that Lynn White from Animals Australia, and, and Lynn is Australia's best campaigner on animal issues, Lynn had offered to replace me on the wetlands if I did receive a ban. So they had to deal, the government had to deal with Australia's most powerful animal rights organisation, uh, Animals Australia coming into the campaign. Uh, I, I summed it up for a newspaper last year and I said it's a bit like the infantry fighting a, a battle and being bogged down and suddenly the heavy artillery and the, and the warplanes come in to take over. Animals Australia is the most powerful animal protection organisation in the nation. Through social media, it reaches on average anywhere between 10 to 20 million people per week, something all political parties can only dream of. Importantly, Animals Australia knows how to use it, educating and mobilising their support base on the exact action required to protect animals from harm. This time, it's political. The Victorian Labor government didn't need to wait long to feel the firepower of Animals Australia. Animal activists are claiming a major victory after the state government agreed to close the Lake Elizabeth Reserve near Kerrang ahead of tomorrow's official start to the duck hunting season. 155 endangered blue-billed ducks have been discovered on Lake Elizabeth in the northwest of the state, a popular destination amongst duck shooters, particularly on the opening weekend. Animals Australia and the Coalition Against Duck Shooting lodged an urgent injunction application at the Supreme Court of Victoria, seeking the closure of the wetland. It is understood the Game Management Authority and both responsible ministers, Jala Pulford and Lisa Neville, and their departments were aware of the presence of the significant population of endangered species. Yet it took an invitation to discuss the issue in court for the government to act. Half an hour prior to the hearing, they agreed to close Lake Elizabeth, thereby avoiding judicial inquiry into the reasoning as to why they were prepared to open this critical wetland to shooting, putting the existence of endangered species at risk, all in the name of recreation. The 11th hour decision saw shooters and rescuers changing their plans on the eve of the opening. I caught up with the rescuers at Lake Burrumbeet outside Ballarat with Laurie Levy addressing the 100 or so rescuers who were gearing up for a pre-dawn start the next day. Uh, again, we apologise that we had Lake Elizabeth closed, yes. but we had to do it because by doing that, by joining forces with Animals Australia to go to the Supreme Court, we were able to... Uh, we were able to challenge the Department of the Environment and the Department of Agriculture head on. 
and it was really a game of brinkmanship where uh, I think the Department of Agriculture thought that we were bluffing and that we wouldn't actually go to the Supreme Court was only a threat. Well, they were wrong. And when we, when our lawyers and Daniel Beecher was here, was there. When, 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 as soon as it was lodged, the uh, Victorian government capitulated and closed off Lake Elizabeth. And we not only protected the 155 threatened bluebill ducks, but at the same time, those 155 threatened species also protected another 20,000 birds that were on that wetland. <laughs> substantially. So essentially everyone just be careful of the 25 metre rule. Um, and I don't this is about my fifth time out. Uh, haven't been booked yet. Good. So, obviously our main objective is to rescue birds. So we're not there to protest as such. Okay, and the second And just remember the, 20, the 25 metres is the big deal. Everyone, and mainly to shooter and realise I've been told by the officers will be filmed and whoever's breaking any rule whatsoever will be prosecuted. <laughs> Prior to the Liberal Kennett era, Labor governments, Kane and Kerner, defended the community's right to protest. Kennett introduced a $100 fine for activities essential to duck rescue, such as entering the water to assist wounded birds. This year, those entering the water prior to 10am the peak duck shooting period, risked receiving a $910 fine. The government says it's for personal safety. The rescuers say it's to deter the retrieval of injured and dead game and protected species that has the potential to embarrass a government that assures the public duck shooting is highly regulated. My name's Christy. How many times have you done duck rescue? I've been going out for... How much has it changed in that time? Unbelievably. Yeah. There were days where you'd bring in, I'd have five birds in my arms bringing them in and I'd see five go down and I couldn't pick them up. I'd have to take the others in and then you go out and you get more. The water would just be red with blood and be being abused and I've had dead ducks rubbed in my face, I've been punched, I've been held under the water. I've been to five or six shooters just basically closing in on me, trying to grab the duck that I have. If I don't give it to them, I'll just take its head, tear the head of the duck off. If I don't let go of the duck, I'll just tear its head off. It's hard to think that human beings could behave like that. I'm Liz Walker and I'm CEO at RSPCA Victoria. I'm Jason Rapke and I'm a, a director on the board and a vet. Mm. Can you just talk through what's come through clinic this morning, the triage clinic? Well, this morning we've seen two, two birds that were fatally injured but alive and very much suffering uh, when they arrived. Uh, one was a protected species and the second one was a game species. But regardless of that, they both uh, had 
um, injuries that were terrible enough that unfortunately we were unable to um, rehabilitate them and we had to humanely euthanise them. What injuries did they present with? Yeah, so they had several injuries. Um, both birds had several several injuries all, all over their body, um, including uh, fractures um, from the gunshots. Um, the first bird that we saw um, had two severe uh, wounds. One was uh, over its chest. Uh, effectively, it had entered the chest, so it had an open chest wound. The other one was over its, its tummy, its abdomen, and it had an open abdominal wounds. Both of those birds, if they hadn't been rescued, would have uh, suffered and lingered out there um, and would have probably died quite a slow and, and prolonged death. So when they were brought into us, um, we, um, we immediately gave them pain relief. We immediately gave them an injection to anaesthetise them uh, and then, unfortunately, we had to humanely euthanise them. Unlike other firearms, shotguns do not fire bullets. They shoot cartridges of small ball-bearing-like shrapnel that fan out over distance as though they are designed to wound rather than kill. The further the distance, the greater the spread, the higher the likelihood of wounding birds that fly in the same flock as the targeted individual. There is mixed opinion about the wounding rate. Some studies indicate a one-to-one ratio, but even shooting groups acknowledge that at least one bird in every four targeted will be wounded. Small men feel big when they're wielding a gun Pray on the weak and defenseless for fun Callously leaving the wounded to die While those in authority avert their eyes When will this cruelty be done? When will you lay down your gun? Lake Burrumbeet is vast and surrounded by mudflats, courtesy of the drought, severely restricting movement across the wetland. The enormity of trying to regulate shooting activities, even on this one wetland, is daunting. The futility of regulating bag limits in these conditions, the single mechanism used to ensure the sustainability of game bird species populations, is not lost on Dave Evans. The bag limit this year is legally you're allowed to have four birds per day. Now, you must remember, that's four birds on person. Uh, if you've got all the proper licences, four birds per person. That doesn't stop you from shooting. Someone can have three birds on them and bear witness to this time and time again. And they will legally can shoot all day and wound and kill birds. But as long as they don't have over four birds on them, they can legally do this. One of my rescuers found 40-odd game birds in an onion sack. Obviously, that was over the bag limit at the time. I think the bag limit in that year was about eight per day, and they were just shot and left. Um, There are more birds shot out there than brought in. There's no doubt about that. Dave has been coordinating duck rescue teams for over 15 years. Each weekend, his teams monitor shooters and retrieve injured and dead birds from the wetlands. To see an officer is incredibly, incredibly rare. And we always, always strike the most popular shooting wetlands. 
fact, every time I see an officer, I said, gee, I wish the government would give you more funding so there's more of you guys out there. We want them out there. But they're just not there. And, you know, it's like the, the government has just thrown, uh, thrown the wetlands to the shooters Although the word on the wetlands is that there are five compliance officers statewide to regulate all hunting activities, deer, quail, introduced animals and ducks, the Game Management Authority's annual report indicates nine full-time field officers and an additional nine casual staff. Despite substantial effort for this figure to be confirmed, the Game Management Authority did not respond prior to broadcast. Although more staff may mean better compliance, given that the majority of Victorians want duck shooting banned, not regulated, this may not seem like a popular use of taxpayers' money. But it's also not just the number of compliance officers that are being questioned. It is also their willingness to act. Laurie Levy. In 2013, uh, we got a tip-off on the opening weekend of the duck shooting season that a massacre of native waterbirds, including protected and threatened species, had taken place at the Box Flat floodplain. Now, that's a private wetland, and it's owned by friends of the, of the then minister, Peter Walsh, and 150 shooters were there on the opening morning, and they shot over 2,000 birds. Over 200 freckle ducks, a threatened species, were included and they shot birds of prey and anything else that happened to move. The Weekly Times covered the story later and said it was an orgy of killing, one of the worst wildlife massacres Victoria has seen. Many, if not most, of the 150 normally law-abiding citizens appear to have collectively lost the plot. Now, there were compliance officers at Box Flat on the morning of the massacre and they didn't see it happen. So 2,000 birds were just gunned down that morning, and the government intended to cover it up. And if we hadn't have been tipped off about the slaughter of birds that took place, nobody would ever have known about it. The media covered the story. Uh, The then minister, Peter Walsh, was forced to set up an inquiry, and uh, a nine-month investigation led nowhere because not a single shooter was charged with uh, illegally shooting threatened species or protected species. Uh, They got away with it. The Coalition Against Duck Shooting has been alerted to other massacres and three years on from the Box Flat incident and a week after Jala Pulford assured Parliament that duck shooters had been well behaved on the opening weekend of the season... Rescuer Tony Murphy and his team came across another grisly find at Lake Tolondo. We witnessed the aftermath of yet another terrible massacre of basically everything that moved. And we've observed this many times over the years, unfortunately, where there was just a particular spot on the wetland where we recovered 46 protected species, including 16 freckle ducks. And... It was clear as we moved along that shore of the wetland that every bird that was there had been shot. There was coots, there was blue-winged shovelers, there was freckled ducks, all of which are fully protected. And they'd just been shot and left to rot in the water. Compliance officers had been at Lake Tolondo 
and they themselves had retrieved three freckled ducks, a unique species to Australia. Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia. Freckled duck is a, a unique duck. It's in its own uh, genus and it's a very ancient duck, only found in Australia. It's also listed as endangered in Victoria. Um, there's probably... It's traditionally been thought of as Australia's rarest waterfowl, but it's probably a race between that and blue-billed duck. We don't actually have exactly accurate numbers, but freckled ducks are certainly uh, quite rare in Victoria. But in seasons such as this, uh, there are congregations of reasonably large numbers of freckled ducks at several wetlands across Victoria. The find at Lake Tolondo brought Animals Australia back to court in order to protect the remaining waterbirds an out-of-court agreement resulted in part of Lake Tolondo being closed to shooters. But this topsy-turvy approach to protecting native waterbirds meant that duck rescuers risked $910 fines to provide the evidence to force the government to act in the interest of native species. Who stole the soul? And who stole the heart? Who took the spark from inside of me? Why can't I breathe? And I'm afraid they won't stop Till all the poets have failed Till all the good men are jailed for nothing let them take the fall we had to have a program on 3CR was because of the failure uh, of other radio stations, so-called independent radio stations, which were not letting us have our say. It's up to you to keep independent voices on air. Donate now to 3CR's 40th birthday, Radical Radiothon. 3CR was giving us the opportunity to tell our story as it was and I wouldn't be exaggerating if I say 3CR has been the backbone of our struggle in Australia. Donate now to Keep Radio Radical. You're tuned to 3CR's animal advocacy program, Freedom of Species. Today we are discussing duck shooting in Victoria. While conducting research for this program, it became evident that when it comes to duck shooting, all roads lead back to the Game Management Authority. Even the Victorian police referred me to the Game Management Authority when I asked what firearms could be used by recreational shooters on the wetlands. The Game Management Authority, despite admirable efforts by the government's communications department, declined to be interviewed for this program. Fortunately, others are happy to provide an insight into this recently established statutory body. 
While hunting was previously managed through government departments, there have been incremental moves towards developing a standalone hunting body. Greg Barber, leader of the Greens in Victoria, has been watching the emergence of the Game Management Authority with keen interest. When the National Party got control of the portfolio, they created a game management unit within the Department of Primary Industry. But the shooters basically just came out and said, that's not what we want. We want our own special um, department, just like the thing in New South Wales. And eventually they got it uh, late in the day of the uh, Liberal government, but fully supported by the Labor Party, who, of course, are now running the show down here. It's a move that surprises Greg Barber's colleague, the New South Wales Greens MP, David Shoebridge. The Victorian Labor government is going down the same disastrous path that the previous New South Wales Labor government went down in trying to cut a deal with the shooting fraternity, with the, with the gun lobby, and setting up a standalone statutory authority that is basically run by and for and in the interests of the hunting community. Now, nobody should be just signing off on the creation of a standalone hunting authority without public consultation. And the, the New South Wales experience should be telling Victorians that. The, the particularly noxious body that Labor set up in New South Wales was called the Game Council. The Game Council had a whole lot of statutory powers, was meant to be regulating and oversighting and licensing hunters, but it was run by, for and in the interests of hunters, but paid for by taxpayers. Now, that's the exact model that Victoria is repeating. What happened in New South Wales, you might ask? You know, is this a good or a bad thing to do? Well, the answer is it's unambiguously a bad thing to do. Close examination of the the way that the Game Council operated showed that it had no interest in fairly or objectively regulating hunting. Uh, when there was an independent review done of it, it found that it had lost sight entirely of its job, that rather than regulating hunting and safety in the public interest, it became basically a lobby group for hunters. That, that ultimately came a, a complete cropper. It, it was such a political hot potato in New South Wales that the coalition government eventually had to repeal and, and disband the Game Council and bring it back within a regular government department. And, and you know, we've had some improvement. It's far from perfect, but we've had some improvement in the way that um, hunting is now regulated in New South Wales because it's no longer been regulated by and for the interests of the hunters. And to see Victoria going down that same path, to be creating a standalone statutory authority run by and for the interests of hunters, but paid for by Victorian taxpayers. That should be sending a shiver down the spine of anybody who's concerned about animal welfare and is also basically just concerned about their safety when they go into a public forest or they go into Crown land where these hunters may be operating. So concerned that the Game Management Authority was promoting hunting in conflict with its statutory role as regulator, Greg Barber lodged freedom of information requests. So when we uh, looked at the minutes of the board of this new body, First of all, we find out there's a bunch of keen hunters on the board. And secondly, um, they're off on a flit. They're talking to other government departments like the police, like national parks, even the Environmental Water Holding Authority. And what they're saying is, well, when you do your job, we expect you to promote hunting at the same time. So in very short order, this body has slipped over from being a regulator to being a promoter of hunting. And now they're even trying to influence other bodies to make more land in national parks and elsewhere available for hunting. 
devils are at it again Who knows what they'll do And it's true right now like it was back then It's not just the promotion of hunting without a public debate that concerns New South Wales Greens MP David Shoebridge. As the Justice and Firearms spokesperson for the party, he is concerned about the accumulation of guns by a single owner due to the interpretation of regulations that have sidestepped the need for each and every gun application to be reviewed by police. It allows somebody who gets a firearms licence and say, they have a firearms license because they're a rural property owner or they're a member of a hunting club. That gives them their reason, their genuine reason to get a firearms license. And they use that to get their first gun. And then they put another permit to acquire in, could be a week later, could be a month later, to get their second gun. And they say, well, the good reason they have for getting their second gun is they're a member of a hunting club. And they use that same good reason to get their third gun and their fifth gun and their hundredth gun. And in one case, we know of in New South Wales, they're 320th gun. And they can endlessly recycle the same good reason. And that kind of watering down of the application of good laws through some pretty shoddy regulation and regulatory oversight is really seeing the firearms laws being weakened. Previously, we used to only see the kind of deals between pro-gun MPs and the government of the day happening at a state or a territory level. And, you know, traditionally New South Wales shooters and fishers MPs would trade off voting for one piece of legislation if the government went weak on a particular part of firearms laws. But unfortunately, this, this kind of gun trading has now become a disease in the federal parliament. And we saw Senator Lionhelm from the Liberal Democratic Party uh, basically saying to the government, well, we're not going to support your legislative agenda unless you do something on allowing the importation of the Adler repeat-action shotgun. And the rumour is that he supported the government on border protection, so-called border protection laws, provided the government only agreed to a temporary ban on the importation of the Adler. And, of course, that temporary ban expires rather conveniently a month after the federal election. And I can tell you now that both the Coalition and the Labor Party are desperately trying not to talk about gun control, in the federal election campaign because they know that that deal between the Coalition and Lionelm expires on the 7th of August. What happens after the 7th of August? After 7th of August, all bets are off and the 10 or 15,000 pre-orders of this Adler repeat-action shotgun can all be satisfied uh, and we will see potentially 15,000 of these weapons flooding our streets. And our wetlands, is that correct? When you have a look at where people want to be using this shotgun. Where do they want to be firing off eight shots in eight seconds from a shotgun? You'd have to say that who's in those sites more than anybody else are our native ducks, our native waterfowl. And uh, the wetlands of Victoria will potentially be decimated if the Adler ban is allowed to expire. And and we literally see, what, 15, potentially as many as 20,000 of these weapons being imported in a single year. it's a genuinely frightening prospect for anyone who's concerned about animal welfare and, and saving our beautiful native waterfowl from you know, this bloodlust of hunting. It's not just politicians that are concerned about the watering down of gun laws. Gun Control Australia works towards maintaining and developing effective gun legislation and regulation. 
As such, its chairperson, Samantha Lee, is very well versed in the influence of Australia's gun lobby groups. Well, the gun lobby in Australia is made up of various groups. You have your groups in Parliament, which is the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, There's two in the Upper House in New South Wales, uh, two in Victoria and one in Western Australia. In addition to that, you have various uh, groups, such as hunting groups, sporting shooters, handgun groups. So it's a fairly uh, wide group. It's not like the NRA in America, which symbolises one powerful group in America. In Australia, it's made up of various different groups. The Victorian Parliament is made up, obviously, of two houses, but in the upper house, uh, Victorian Parliament has two Fishers and Shooters Party members. They hold the balance of power in the upper house. Now, if we reflect upon what's been happening in New South Wales, where there are two Shooters Party in that house as well, we know that uh, they can, well, hijack, I guess, the upper house to ensure that the government uh, passes legislation that waters down gun laws before they support anything that the government wants passed in the upper house. Uh, So they can hold the upper house to ransom on the mere basis that they hold the balance of power uh, and to force the government's hand in terms of supporting their legislation. The outgoing Federal Labor MP and a long-time supporter of a ban on duck shooting, Kelvin Thompson, will not be drawn on the possible influence the upper house dynamics may have on the current Labor government's attitude and management of duck shooting in Victoria. It's possible, but that's a relatively recent development and, uh, of course, uh, I haven't been a state MP during that period. I've been a federal one and I'm not really privy to discussions that go on uh, in State Parliament House about uh, that issue. It may be uh, problematic for the for the government, their, their position in the Legislative Council, but, uh, of course, we've had duck shooting more or less continuously uh, through uh, right through this period and we, we haven't been able to achieve it, which is disappointing. Of course, Victoria could follow the example of three other states that have already banned duck shooting, all under Labor governments. Bob Carr in New South Wales 1995, Peter Beatty in Queensland 2005, and West Australia was the first state to ban duck shooting in 1990, shortly after Australia's first female Premier, Carmen Lawrence, took office. When I became Premier, it was fairly clear that there was strong community support for the idea of either completely banning duck shooting or placing even more severe constraints on it. There was uh, considerable activism in the environmental and animal welfare groups in Western Australia, and I think a general view in the, the engaged community that this was a practice that really could not continue. It was a view that um, I accepted, and although there was some opposition from the the sporting shooters, as they call themselves, it wasn't perhaps as strong as it is in some other parts of the country, which in some respects made our our task somewhat easier, but they were uh, obviously displeased. (laughs) But um, as I said at the time, I thought the community had reached a stage where they wouldn't accept that continued killing of native birds for, for recreation, and that turned out to be the balance of opinion. Clearly, the majority of people supported the, the move. It would appear that the Victorian Labor government is not so willing to act on public opinion. 
A Roy Morgan poll showed that a minimum of 75% of Victorians supported a ban on recreational duck shooting. The three out of four people who want the government to ban duck shooting is in stark contrast to the less than 0.04% of Victorians who actually shoot ducks for recreation. Instead of acting on these statistics, both the government and the Game Management Authority have come up with their own in defence of hunting. In a statement, the Minister for Agriculture, Jala Pulford, said Victoria's 48,000 licensed game hunters, including about 26,000 duck hunters, are contributing over $430 million to local economies. But that figure comes from a 2013 statewide study and includes all hunting, including for deer and pest species. Economic modelling results like this are used in politics and by project proponents all the time. And what the trick is, is to commission your complicated economic model that comes out with your big number for economic impact of duck hunting or benefit to the economy from cutting company tax. Uh, Lobby groups and political parties do this all the time. You commission your model, you put your big numbers in your press release, it goes out, it gets reported. By the time anyone's actually gotten around to finding an economist to look through your ridiculous claims, the media's moved on, you've made your point, you've had your win. And, and that's what you're seeing here. My name's Rod Campbell. I'm the research director at the Australia Institute in Canberra. I'm an economist by background, and I've written several papers on the economics of hunting generally uh, and on duck hunting in particular. What they haven't asked the hunters is... If you didn't go hunting, if you didn't spend that money on going duck hunting, what would you spend it on? And the Australia Institute has asked this question. A couple of years ago, we wrote a report for the RSPCA called Out for a Duck, and we did a survey of of duck hunters saying, what would you do if you didn't go duck hunting? And you know what they said? They'd go fishing. 75% of them almost said that they'd go fishing instead. About 50% said they might just go camping. So if you don't go hunting, you go out and you spend almost exactly the same amount of money doing something very similar. And so the difference between these two activities is almost zero. So the additional impact to the Victorian economy of hunting is zero, uh, because people would have spent the same amount of money anyway. Despite many in the Labor membership wanting duck shooting banned, and it being supported by Labor's own Environmental Policy Committee, successive Labor premiers have stood steadfastly by their belief that duck shooting is a legitimate recreational activity. Here in a leadership debate, you'll hear the two most recent premiers answer the question as to why duck shooting had not already been banned. First, you'll hear from former Premier Dennis Napvine, followed by the current Premier, Daniel Andrews. We, as a government, will continue to support legitimate duck hunting at a seasonal basis when the populations of birds, as assessed by DEPI, allow that to occur. Can I just ask, why is it regarded legitimate, just to get to the nub of the question? Well, we have been, in Victoria, we have wildlife populations, and particularly wildlife uh, populations in terms of ducks, 
that breed up in large numbers and they often run into significant problems in terms of their long-term sustainability of those populations and it is a legitimate sport that's been going on for a number of years. All right, and did you want to respond on that? Thanks very much, Dave, and thank you, John, for your question. And I don't think my answer will please you either, but I do respect the fact that many people have deeply held views on this, but in my judgment, this is a legitimate form of recreational activity. It is the government-appointed legitimacy of duck shooting as a sport that Animals Australia is challenging in the court of public opinion. With ads, billboards and their far-reaching social media networks, Animals Australia is sending one very strong message from Victorian sportsmen and women. It's mind-blowing that it's even allowed. It's just a coward's act. It's cruel and it's heartbreaking. I love how much sport challenges me. Going out at one-on-one, toe-to-toe. To equal teams, to equal opponents, that's why I love sport. In duck shooting, it's one man versus a, a small little creature that's defenceless. It's definitely not a fair and equal playing field. Duck shooting is not a sport. 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 Animals Australia are backing and amplifying Laurie Levy's belief, formed 30 years ago on the wetlands, that protection for our native water birds will come from the public voting for compassion and fair sportsmanship over violence and blood sports. On a central Victorian wetland dawn Morning is broken by gunfire torn Desperate and terrified, take to the sky Savagely ambushed, they give up their lives When will this cruelty be done? When will you lay down your guns? We don't want to come out to the wetlands to rescue birds. We don't want to have to do this, but we have to because the suffering that these birds go through is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. If they could scream, I think duck shooting would have been banned many, many years ago. But of course they don't. They suffer in silence. And if we aren't here helping the birds, there's nobody else doing it. So we're compelled to come out. We have to. We know that this is going to happen during duck shooting seasons. And how can we stay home knowing that this suffering is going on? Small men that feel big when they're wielding a gun Prey on the weak and defenceless for fun Callously leaving the wounded to die While those in authority avert their eyes When will this cruelty be done? When will you lay down your gun?
But the criminals here in the eyes of the law are not the ones killing and maiming for sport. Cowards in camouflage do as they please, while defenders of these voiceless, vulnerable beings. Put up on trial where the questioned and fine for rescuing what the thugs leave behind. When will this cruelty be done? When will you lay down your gun? When will this madness be done? When will you lay down your gun? You've just been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio. 2016 marks 40 years that 3CR has been bringing you independent community voices and we're asking you, our listeners, to keep us going for another 40 years by donating to our Radical Radiothon this June 6th to the 19th. This year we need to make $220,000.